Hello, and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain, JG Ministries, and I'm so glad you stopped by. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 13, verse 1 of the book of Luke. And let's get into it. Last time we finished chapter 12 with a discussion on being ready for when Jesus comes back. Now today we begin unpacking chapter 13 with the importance of repentance. And at this point, a dialogue about the problem of human suffering and evil introduces a parable that like Jesus' teaching in chapter 12 deals with crisis and judgment. So let's turn to our Bibles to the first verse of chapter 13. Repent or perish. There were present at the season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will, like all likewise, perish. Now, chapter 12 closed with failure of the Jewish nation to discern the time in which they live, and with the Lord's warning to repent quickly or perish forever. Chapter 13 continues the general subject and is largely addressed to Israel as a nation, although the principles apply to individual people. Two national calamities form the basis of the resulting conversation. The first was the massacre of some Galileans who had come to Jerusalem to worship. And Pilate, the governor of Judea, ordered them to be slain while they were offering sacrifices. Now, nothing else is known concerning this atrocity. We assume the victims were Jews who had been living in Galilee. The Jews in Jerusalem might have been laboring under the delusion that these Galileans must have committed terrible sins and that their death was evidence of God's disfavor. However, the Lord Jesus corrected this by warning the Jewish people that unless they repented, they would all likewise perish. The other tragedy concerned the collapse of a tower in Siloam, which caused the death of 18 persons. Again, nothing else is known about this accident except what is recorded here. And fortunately, it is not necessary to know any further details. Because the point emphasized by the Lord was that this catastrophe should not be interpreted as a special judgment for gross wickedness. Rather, it should be seen as a warning to all the nation of Israel that unless they repented, a similar doom would come upon them. This doom came to pass in AD 70 when Titus invaded Jerusalem. We cannot be certain as to the exact incident referred to in verse 1. The social tension made revolutionary activity in those days possible at any time. Galileans were especially susceptible to revolt, 
And any attack by Pilate or any other governor against Jews who had come to offer sacrifices was horrendous, whatever its reason. Jesus refuses to attribute tragedy or accident directly to one sin as the Jews did. On the contrary, he affirms the sinfulness of all people, whereas the victims of the two calamities referred to physically, all who do not face spiritual death. Now that covers our first five verses. So let's go back to our scriptures here. And let's take a look at the parable of the barren fig tree. And this will be verses 6 through 9. Now verse 6 begins, He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, put it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. So let's take a look at verses 6 through 9 here. <clears throat> In close connection with the preceding, the Lord Jesus told the parable of the fig tree. It is not difficult to identify the fig tree as Israel planted in God's vineyard, that is, the world. Now, God looked for fruit on the tree, but he found none. So he said, I dressed the Lord Jesus, that he had sought in vain for fruit from the tree for three years. The simplest interpretation of this refers to the first three years of our Lord's public ministry. The thought of the passage is that the fig tree had been given sufficient time to produce fruit, if it was ever going to do so. If no fruit appeared in three years, then it was reasonable to conclude that none would ever appear. Because it's fruitless, God ordered it to be cut down. It was only occupying ground that could be used more productively. The vine dresser interceded for the fig tree, asking that it could be given one more year. If at the end of that time, if it was still fruitless, then he would cut it down. And that is what happened. It was after the fourth year had begun that Israel rejected and crucified the Lord Jesus. Now, as a result, its capital was destroyed and the people were scattered. And once more, Jesus alludes to Micah chapter 7 with its lament over unproductive fig trees. The symbolism applies to Israel. Jesus' mention of both a fig tree and a vineyard makes this figure very clear. The tree is not immediately destroyed. It's given an extra year of grace. Even beyond the three years, its owner had already waited. Israel, however, failed to recognize her season of opportunity. The Son of God knew the mind of his father, who was the owner of the vineyard, and that the dreaded order to cut it down had been issued. Israel had again exhausted the divine forbearance. Neither a nation nor person has reason to enjoy the care of God, if not bringing forth the fruits of righteousness unto the glory and the praise of God. Man exists for the honor and pleasure 
of the Creator. When he does not serve this just end, why should not the sentence of death follow his sinful failure and be removed from his place of privilege? Some food for thought there. Now, the next section, healing a woman on the Sabbath, healing of the bent over woman. The Sabbath issue, a major cause of dissension earlier back in chapter 6, the first 11 verses, is now reappearing. We have Jesus again teaching in a synagogue. This incident, like the others in this chapter, shows that despite the failure of the religious leaders to acknowledge the time of God's working, the kingdom is still being manifested. So let's go back to our scriptures, begin with verse 10, the spirit of infirmity. And now he was in the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. But answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, verses 10 to 13, let's take a look at those. As Jesus was speaking, he suddenly became aware of a crippled woman. And any activity by a demon is ultimately Satan's responsibility. Now, most important to Luke is the woman's instant healing and its direct attribution to God. Now, this, of course, shows that Jesus was truly acting with God's authority. And praised God reflects Luke's spatial interest in the glory of God. The real attitude of Israel toward the Lord Jesus is seen in the ruler of the synagogue. Now, this official objected that the Savior had healed a woman on the Sabbath. This woman had suffered from severe curvature of the spine for 18 years. Her deformity was gray to the point that she could not even straighten herself up at all. And without even being asked, Jesus had spoken the healing word. He laid hands on her and straightened her spine. Now looking at verses 14 to 17, we see that the ruler of the synagogue told the people that they should come for healing on the first six days of the week, not on the seventh. The controversy over Jesus' Sabbath activities now comes to the forefront as the synagogue ruler speaks to the people on the grounds of Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 to 10. He was a professional uh, religionist. He had no deep concern for the problems of the people. Even if they had come on the first six days of the week, he could not have helped them. 
He was a stickler about the technical points of the law, but there was no love, there was no mercy in his heart. If he had had curvature of the spine for 18 years, he probably would not have minded on which day he was straightened out. Now, he avoids addressing Jesus directly. There was ample evidence of rabbinic precedence for helping animals in emergencies on the Sabbath. So Jesus used a lesser to greater argument to move from helping animals to helping human beings. And we have the term a daughter of Abraham, and that means a Jewish, or a Jewess. In with Luke's purpose, this designation highlights the priority of the Jews in the program of the gospel. As he often does, Luke gives us the crowd's reaction to Jesus' response. The Lord reproved his hypocrisy and that of the other leaders. He reminded them that they didn't hesitate to untie an ox or a donkey from the stall on the Sabbath in order to let go and have some water. So if they showed such consideration for animals on the Sabbath, was it wrong for Jesus to perform an act of healing on this woman who was the daughter of Abraham? The expression, a daughter of Abraham, indicates that not only was she Jewish, but she was a true believer. She was a woman of faith. Now, the curvature of the spine was caused by Satan. We know from other parts of the Bible that some sicknesses are the result of satanic activity. We know that Job's boils were inflicted by Satan. Paul's in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. The devil is not allowed to do this on a believer, however, without the Lord's permission. That's very important to know. Satan cannot do anything unless God allows it. We even saw in the book of Job, Satan had to ask God's permission to even touch Job. And God overrules any such sickness or sufferings for his own glory. Now, the critics of our Lord were thoroughly put to shame by his words. And the common people rejoiced because a glorious miracle had been performed, and they knew it. Now, I want to leave us there for this time, but next time I want to begin the parable of the mustard seed with verses 18 to 21. So until next time, God bless you, and keep living Christian strong.